seated. And turn with me to, to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 tonight. You can also find this in your, your service sheets uh, on the, the second to last page there. Uh, John 1, uh, verses 1 to 18. This is probably one of the, the better known uh, passages in, in all the Bible. We, we've, you've probably heard this read uh, before, even, even if you're, you, you've not been around the church very much. Uh, it's, a, it's a well-known uh, summary or, or introduction, I suppose, uh, to who Jesus is. Most, uh, most of the Gospels begin with, well, at least Matthew and Mark, with, of course, the, the famous account of the birth of Jesus. Uh, but John begins with, with this incredible sort of theological uh, understanding of, of who Jesus is. And he, as you'll see, he pulls together so many things uh, in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful passage. John 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 18 this evening. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. The grass withers and the, the flower fades, but the, the word of our God stands uh, forevermore. Well, you, you may remember a, a few years ago uh, when we, we were all riveted by the, the rescue of a, a group of boys, a football team, from a cave in Thailand. Our, our family watched a documentary on it recently. And it was an, an incredible effort that was undertaken to, to save the lives of these boys and, and their coach before the, the floodwaters rose up and, and consumed them and, and killed them. Uh, it wasn't in the documentary, but as the, the drama played out, a, a well-known uh, American billionaire inventor, whose name I won't mention in case he's got some kind of algorithm to find any mention of his name on the internet and, and thus sue me, uh, we'll just call him Melon Usk. We'll just do that. So, so Melon Usk uh, decided that he would help by, by having his engineers uh, create a, a miniature uh, submarine uh, in just a few days' time. And, and, and they built this, this, this submarine uh, to, to certain specifications, uh, hoping that it would get the, these boys out of this cave. And he had a video on Twitter of, of, of the, the thing being tested and, and this device. And he, he flew to Thailand with it on his, on his private jet. And he goes out to this, this cave that's, that's way out uh, in the mountains. And he, he arrives there and, and he, he offers this device to these, these expert uh, uh, cave diving rescuers. And their response was, 
Um, that's, that's nice. Th thank you. Uh, it's the, the thought that counts, really, uh, but probably not that helpful. Now, poor Melon said, uh, no, you know, no problem, guys. I'll just leave it here in case you need it. Uh, and, and, and off he went back to America. Well, then he gets back to America, and he's, he's upset by this. And so he gets on Twitter, and he starts saying all kinds of nasty things about these guys doing this rescue. Now, we'll let that hang in the air for a moment while we remember where we've been the last few weeks. We said that, that God's spoken to our world, and he, he tells us that, that uh, he made us. And he, he made us to, to know him and to be known by him. But last week we saw that, that we can't actually meet that purpose. We, we can't have that, that relationship because we've broken our relationship to God by our sin. Now this week we get to, to the good news, the reason why there's hope. And it's because God rescues us. And he rescues us through his son Christ Jesus. And that's what John is telling us in this passage. As we come to this passage, I think we're, we're a lot like poor uh, Milan Usk. You know, trying to help to rescue those cave boys. There, there's loads of things that we try to do to earn God's favor, isn't there? There's loads of things we do to try and justify ourselves before him, to justify our existence, to make him think that we're, we're pretty good people. You know, we'll, we'll, I, I, and ironically, our, our secular culture says of, of religion, whether it's, whether it's Christianity or whether it's you know, Islam or, or Buddhism or Hinduism or, or whatever it is, secularism actually says, you know, that's nice. I can tell you worked really hard on that. It's probably the thought that counts, but ultimately it doesn't do you or anyone else any good. But the Christianity would actually say to the secularist, yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's nothing that, uh, that we do in any of our, our religious sort of things, whether it's, it's you know, meditation or whatever. There's nothing that we do that, that actually is, is helpful. It's, com it's completely pointless in trying to win the favor of God. But then if you turn to the secularist and say, but what's your answer, Mr. Secularist? Well, their response would be crickets chirping, wouldn't it? See, they're, they're, they have absolutely no answer for the problem of sin and evil in our world. And the average person doesn't, do they? There's no answer for it. So here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news before us tonight. It's a better story that, that we have to offer the world because, it's, because it's, it's, it's the story of how God actually saves us. Everything that we need for our salvation has been done for us already in Christ Jesus. There's nothing we can do to, to earn God's favor. He's given it to us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. And that's what our entire passage is about tonight. It's all about how God saves his people through his son, Christ Jesus. How does that, how does that work? Well, John begins his, his account of the life of Jesus by offering this, this summary of who Christ is. And in, in, in a way, these are the things that John thinks are, are really important for us to know about Jesus. And they're the things that, that you'll see in him if you, if you read the rest of the, the Gospel of John. Here's what I, I want us to see from it this evening. Three things. First of all, who Christ is. Secondly, what Christ was sent by God, that, that Christ was sent by God the Father. And thirdly, that Christ came so that we might know God and have a relationship with him. So first of all, let's notice how John lays out for, for us who Christ is. That he's actually fully God as well as fully man. He tells us first that, that Christ was present at the very beginning of creation. And what this means is, is, is actually that, 
that he isn't an ordinary person like you and I. But he's eternal. It means he's a very, very special person, isn't it? He has no beginning. He has no end. But not only was, was he present at the beginning of creation, John says that, that he was actually active in that, that act, that work of creation. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made, was, was not anything made that has been made. So he, he was present and he was active in creation, but perhaps most importantly to us, he was actually the original giver of life. In Genesis, when it says that, that God breathed the, the, the breath of life into man. John tells us that that Christ was there and he was breathing life. You see, there's no there's no life apart from him. And that's not a new thing. There was no life apart from Jesus in the very beginning. See, when we said two weeks ago that that God made you and he made you uh, personally and intentionally and he made you to, to know him to be known by him, and to glorify him. John tells us that that Christ Jesus was the one who made you for that purpose. You couldn't exist without Jesus. None of us could. And what I want us to see is is not simply the the profound nature of, of Christ that John presents here, but actually we need to see and appreciate the direct lines that John is drawing between Jesus and ourselves. You see, Jesus is God because of his work of creation, but it's even more personal than that. Jesus is your God because he, 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 he his, because of his work in creating you. He, he made you. In many ways, our, our passage tonight draws us back to, to Psalm 139 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And the things we said a couple of weeks ago about, about our be, being made by God. In many ways, knowing Christ ought to be the most natural thing in the world to us. Because he made us. But it isn't because we've so separated ourselves from him. You see, we, we feel so many things when we, when we look at Christ, don't we? In many ways, we should be, we should be drawn to him. Yet we, we often fear him and want to push back from him. Because we know that we, we have no right to come before him. And John reflects that separation here, doesn't he? And the beauty of what John lays out for us this evening is, is that Christ... Christ wants to breathe life into us once again. And he's able to do it because he's done it before in creation. And he can do it because he was, he was willing to take on our flesh and dwell among us as, as one of us. And the question should be on all of our minds is, is why did Jesus have to take on our flesh? Why did, Jesus, why, why did God have to become man to save us? And I think the way we, we sometimes like to think of of our relationship to, to Christ is sort of the, the divine buddy system. When you, when you go on a school trip, or, or maybe when you, when you used to go on a school trip, or if you've ever gone on a school trip with your kids, then you know the buddy system, right? You, you're paired up with a, with a buddy, with someone else, so that if, if uh, one of you gets separated from the group, then the other can sort of raise the alarm. And the thing about the, the buddy system is, is that the, the hope is, is that, that everyone gets back on the coach at the end of the day. But there's a flaw in the buddy system, isn't it? It depends on the competence of you and your buddy. So if you're, if you're both incompetent, then the system breaks down, doesn't it? If you're both sort of off chasing butterflies together and having a great time, uh, and the, the, the group gets back on the coach and you're not there, there's no one to raise the alarm. 
Hopefully the, the teacher has some backup plan, a, a count or something. But that's how we think of Jesus, as our, as our really competent buddy, don't we? Who walks alongside of us and, and hopefully, hopefully keeps us from doing bad things and, and uh, makes sure that we get on the coach to heaven at the end of the day. That's how we think about him. But what does John tell us? Well, what John tells us is, is that Jesus took on our flesh not to walk alongside us, but to remake us, to renew us, to reanimate us. He, and he remakes us by being the person who, who we could never be and living the life that we can never live and by dying the death that we deserved for our sins. And he did it in order to, to bring us to himself that we, might, that we might know God and to be known by him, to, to meet that purpose that we were created for. Jesus came to, to give us the merits of a, of a perfectly righteous life and to give the merits of, uh, that, that rightfully belonged to him as God's son in order to, to make us children of God. Now, when I was a boy, I, I was at a, a summer camp and, and the speaker it, it, it told this story to, to explain this. And I can't remember all the details, but it went something like this. Back in the, back in the, the 1930s kind of depression era America, there are these, these twins, identical twins. And one of the brothers lived a, a quiet life on the family farm. Uh, and he was, he was kind of the good son, you know, the, the, the older brother who, who, who always does everything right. Uh, while the other, the other brother, the young brother, was the wild one who went out into the world and, and sowed his wild oats. Uh, and he fell in with the wrong crowd. And eventually he, he got so low that he, he, he went and robbed a bank. Uh, and in the process of that, that robbery, he shot the bank manager. And he goes on the run, and he's pursued by the police, and, and so he flees to the family farm. And he tells his brother what he did, and he begs him to help him and to, to hide him from the police. And they look out the window, and they see a, 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 a trail of dust coming up the road, and they know who it is. They know it's the, the law. It's the cops coming. And so the good brother says to the, to the robber, swap clothes with me. And so they swap clothes, and, and now the, the good brother goes out, and he turns himself into the police. And he stands before the judge as his, as his other brother. And he, he's given a life sentence in prison. And a, a, a few weeks later, the, a letter arrives at the farmhouse for the, the criminal brother, from the, from the good brother in prison, and saying, I live... I lived your life for you. Now you live your life for me. And there's two things that should strike us about that story. First of all, just how utterly incompetent the criminal brother was. He obviously thought he was quite clever, but, but when you think about how stupid do you have to be to, to rob a bank and then, and then get away by, by fleeing to the family farm. And most of us probably think we, we could do better. That we'd flee to some some foreign country where they don't uh, extradite people to, to America or to Britain. But the truth is we're, we're actually the incompetent criminal, and we don't even realize it. You know, most of us think each day that we're, we can keep getting away with it. We think we can get away with all the little wrongs that we commit, all the little things that we think that, that don't matter, that contribute to, to the net brokenness of the world, the things that that God knows and, and, and ultimately judges us for. We can't run from them. And our only hope of escape is to, to find someone to stand in our place for us and to take the punishment that we deserve. And that's the second thing that we should notice about, about this story. The utter injustice of it all. 
It's wrong, even offensive, to think of a, of a person doing no wrong, taking the punishment for someone who, who did something terrible. Someone who actually deserved to be punished. But that's, that's exactly what Christ did in his taking on our flesh and living the life we couldn't live and dying the punishment, the death that we deserved. And the story I, I told seems ridiculous to us because we can't believe anyone would ever do what the innocent brother did. That's why it's a, a remarkable act of grace and selflessness. What John says that, that Jesus did for you and is, is this an incredible act. And it was a glorious thing, wasn't it? You see, the rub of, of God saving us is that, that someone had to pay the penalty. Someone had to pay for your, our crimes. And it seems deeply unjust, unjust that that someone deserving punishment is actually rewarded because of the merits of someone who ends up taking our penalty. But that's the very heart of, of what the gospel says and what the gospel is. It says there is a, a God who is so holy that he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. But he also so delights in you that he would become like you, that he would take on your flesh in order to take away your sins. And we may not like the idea of it, but the reality of it is, is what we desperately need. And it's hard for us to accept it, and, and just it, it just feels easier to, to try and do good things for others and to try not to do bad things and, and hurt people's feelings. But what Christ actually calls us to is to stop and to recognize that we're just a bunch of incompetent criminals who've been caught out and, let, and to, to let him make things right. That's the second thing we, we see is, is this evening is, is the work of the Father in our salvation. You'll have noticed a, a word uh, is used to, to name or to, to describe Christ, and that word is actually word, right? Uh, he's the word become flesh. And this, this, this name represents the work of Christ, but also reveals something about who sent him. Uh, the term for, for word was used throughout, throughout the Old Testament as a way of expressing God's rule and his authority, his revealing of himself and his, his work of rescuing his people. And on the very, the very first week of our series, we said that God spo- has, has spoken into our world and, and what a remarkable thing that is. And throughout the course of, of human history, God's revealed himself through, through the prophets he gave commands to his people as to, to how they should live and what they should do. And they, he told them things about himself and he, he prepared them for the day of their salvation. And now John is, is saying here that Christ is that final word. He is that, that salvation. He is the ultimate revelation of God. All the previous words from God the Father were, were pointing towards this one word, his Son, Christ Jesus, who John describes as, as the light of God that is shining in the darkness. You see, what John says here is, if you, if you want to know God, if you want to know the one true God, God the Father, if you want to know Him, then you have to look at His Son, Jesus. See, the day of salvation for God's people is at hand, and He's, he's the final and ultimate word, is what John says. However, there's an, an issue here still, isn't there? Because John explains that the, the light has been shining in the darkness, but the darkness 
has not understood it. It's a, it's a bit of a shocking statement to appear so early on in the gospel, isn't it? God has sent his son to bring about his plan of salvation for his people, yet his people have, have rejected him or ignored him. This is where John reflects uh, the, the, the level of separation between us and God that we referred to earlier. The world's so plunged into darkness that it, it cannot recognize the light when it enters into the world. See, for our world, light is something that's so foreign that we, we can't understand it and we fear to embrace it. It's, it's like, to, to use a, another Star Wars illustration, I seem to do this a lot lately in, in the evening service, forgive me, but it, it's like when, when Han Solo uh, confronted his son uh, in, in the, the newer Star Wars film. Uh, his son's this sort of, he's supposed to be a baddie who's, who's embracing the dark side, and, and Han Solo goes to him and he attempts to call him back from the dark side. And for a moment, uh, he shines the light of goodness onto his son. Instead of winning him over, Han Solo ends up lightsabered. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, now, as great as Han Solo is, and I think we can all agree that he's objectively a really great guy, Han Solo. John tells us that, that Jesus is actually even better. And, and, and he tells us that, that Jesus is the word of God become flesh, the light of God shining into the darkness of our world. Yet often the, the result is the same, isn't it? He was rejected by men because the darkness cannot understand the brilliance of the light. I hope we can all get a sense of the, the tragedy in that. John doesn't pronounce judgment on those who, who reject Christ in this passage, but he doesn't have to. When faced with the, the utter brilliance and magnitude of who Christ is, that he's our, our maker. He's the one who breathed life into us. When we face that, the, the rejection of him is, is an incredibly serious thing, isn't it? It's almost its, its own judgment, because when you reject the light, you by, your, by nature are consumed by the darkness. And we're much to be pitied. But John adds a but here, doesn't he? In verse 12, and it's a big but in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He were born not of, not, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, there's a push and a pull to the gospel message that, that, that's felt against the backdrop of God's incredible grace. On the one hand, we see here a, a warning of what a, a serious thing it is to reject Christ, while on the other hand, a, a picture of the beauty of embracing him. See, it's a serious and, and, and wonderful thing to receive Christ, isn't it? John says it's, it's transformative, that, that we, we shift from being uh, God's enemies to being God's children. It's a whole new identity. We shift from, from being simple creatures to, to knowing our creator. We, we, we shift to this, this incredible knowledge and, and, and being known. And, what is that, and that's what, what this has all been about. And that leads us to actually our final point tonight, a very short one. What's the purpose of, of Christ's work? It's our knowing God and our being known by Him. It's the restoration to a right relationship with, with the Father. It's being able to know God, to see His glory, and to, to glorify Him in our lives. 
It's the re revelation of God to us. It's the very thing that, that humanity has always longed for. It's the very thing that we've been talking about these last four weeks. Our purpose and our meaning. See, that's the goal of our salvation. It, and it, it, it's completed in Christ Jesus. If you want to know God, then you must look to Jesus because John says in verse 18, no one has ever seen the only God, but Christ has made him known to us. You see, most of us spend our whole lives searching for, for that one thing that will fill us, for that one thing that will define us, for that one thing that gives us meaning and purpose and love and hope. But all the things that we would, that we would do in a lifetime only leave us feeling the emptiness more keenly. Like poor Melon and his, his submarine, we're left embarrassed by our efforts at times, aren't we? Because all of our works are, are ultimately unhelpful in our salvation. But Christ came so that we might have our, our longings filled. That we might be able to understand our place in a world that, that makes very little sense otherwise. Christ came that you might know the one and only God who loved us enough to give his only, one and only son for our salvation. Because he is the God who saves. Let us pray.